At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. All month long, we have been reflecting on the birth of Christ, and we've titled our series Christmas Light. Not just because there are many lights that people hang at Christmas time and it's appropriate thematic decoration, but, but also because Jesus is the light of men. He's the light of the world, and he has come into our darkness to illuminate God to us and to show us the way to him. And so we have been reflecting on that reality, looking at a number of different passages in Scripture over the last few weeks. And today we're going to look at another passage of Scripture, a very prominent one inside of the Christmas account, the historical events of the night that Jesus was born as recorded in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to see that in the midst of the dark world in which we live, the light shone on the night that he was born. And we're going to see not only that light shining, but also the invitation that was given for those who, who would hear to come and to worship. And really, it's an invitation that even is echoed through time all the way to us today. So looking forward to the opportunity we have to look at Luke 2 together today. But before we look at Luke 2 together, I want to just think for a moment about really the central event at the heart of Christmas, and that is a birth. And when I think about a birth, I, I often think about birth stories. Now, here's the thing, and I know this about you and you know this about me. Every one of us in this room has a birth story. You know how I know that? Because you were born. You're, you're here, right? Uh, just by virtue of you you're being here, we know that there was a story behind it. But here's the thing. You probably don't remember your own birth story. If you do, please come up and talk to me after the service. I would love to know more about that experience. It sounds terrifying. But here's the thing. When we think about uh, birth stories, we may not remember our own, but certainly if you are a parent, you remember when your children were born. And for Kimberly and I, we definitely remember the day that Josh Robinson was born. It's nearly 13 years ago now. Now, because of some complications and some challenges that we had, uh, we could not have him born here in Norman, but we actually uh, had, he was born at a hospital up in Oklahoma City. So rather than playing a home game related to his birth, we were playing a road game on the day of his birth. So when I say that, what I mean is, when you think of a, a home game at the birth of a child, that's where, you know, you're in the, the birthing suite and family just kind of pop in and then you quickly go home and other family and friends stop by, sometimes even unannounced, to pray with you or to celebrate with you or to drop off a gift. That that's, was normal experience for many, but it wasn't for us because we weren't playing a home game, we were playing a road game. And Josh was born at 31 weeks and so he spent the first month and a half of his life uh, in the NICU. So that meant that for somebody to come and visit Josh, they couldn't just pop in. It was a road game. It was out of town. And they couldn't just show up unannounced. We had to meet them and walk them past security to have a moment like this so that everyone who got to see Josh at this point in his life was there by some kind of a special invitation. Grandma, grandpa, special friend. Now, I think about that experience as it relates to Christmas because when you think about it, Mary and Joseph were playing a road game when Jesus was born. They weren't at home back in, in Nazareth. They were 
playing a road game in Bethlehem. They were there because it was Joseph's ancestral home, but not where he currently lived. And so the normal pop-ins that might have happened when a child was born couldn't happen in that setting. And yet our Heavenly Father wanted there to be people present to celebrate the birth of his son. And so some very special invitations went out to different groups of people who were invited past security to come and to worship. And in that invitation, as they were invited to come to the manger, we see the hope of all mankind. And this morning, we're going to look at those in, that invitation that goes out, and specifically how the invitation went out, and the words that were uttered by the angel that said that this was good news of great joy for all the people. And so as we gather today, 2,000 years later, it is still good news of great joy, and it is for you. And we're going to see that today. And my hope and prayer is that our hearts would be encouraged as we look at this great truth together today. And we're going to see it in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 2, and we will spend the rest of our time there this morning. Now, we've already read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 that talked about how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and we'll pick up the story in verse 8. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Friends, in these verses today, I want us to see four things about what happened and transpired here and how it connects to our lives. The first thing I think it's important that we see is the good news of great joy. At the beginning of this section, there is a proclamation that there is good news of great joy that happened on the night that Jesus was born. Now, this message was delivered by an angel to some shepherds. Now, when we think of this event, the angel appears in the sky in the fields outside of Bethlehem, and the shepherds see the angel, and they hear these words, but it says that the shepherds are scared. Now, there is a part of us as we read this account that we think it's strange that they would be scared. I mean, after all, this is what happens in night skies outside of Bethlehem. Angels appear. We're so familiar with the story that we are like, okay, here's the part where the angels show up in the sky. 
But for the shepherds, this was very abnormal. Never before in their life had they seen an angel appear in the sky. And you know what? From that point forward, they hadn't seen them. You know, I've actually had the privilege to be in Bethlehem a couple of times, including at night. And, and I was in Bethlehem at night. You know what I did? I looked up at the sky. No angels. It was a special event that was marked here on this night. And it caught the shepherds by surprise so that they were afraid. Linus might even say they were sore afraid. You guys have seen the story. And so they're frightened. And they're frightened because they don't know what this message is about. God was showing up, sending his messengers. Was he coming to, to judge them? Was he coming to, to smite them? Was he coming to deliver bad news of judgment? No, the very first words out of the angel's mouth are what? Fear not. Fear not. The words are fear not because the angel wants them to know at the very beginning that this message that was coming was not bad news, but it was good news. And it wasn't just kind of good news. It was good news of great joy. There was a reason for celebration. The angels make that clear. But as they, they show up, they said it was good news of great joy. Now, those are, are terms of they're, they're superlatives, and they're terms of comparison. We know good in part when we see bad. And so, you know, sometimes when we think about declarations like that, they matter who they come from. Right? A, a four-year-old child tells you that it is as cold as it's ever been. How do you respond? You pat him on the head, and you go, oh, that's so cute. It's the coldest it's ever been in all 1,100 days of your life, this is the coldest you've ever felt it. That's adorable. But when Kimberly's 105-year-old grandmother says it's the coldest that it's ever been, somehow that carries a little more weight, doesn't it? Because she's seen a few things. And think about where this message that this is good news of great joy come from. It comes initially from the eternal God who has always existed and knows everything that has ever happened. And his estimation of this is that this is good news of great joy. And it's communicated by an angelic host that has also seen a lot, that has been around from the time of creation, has seen the creation of the world, has has seen the fall of angels, has seen the fall of humanity and sin and its consequences, has seen the miracles that God has worked upon the earth. The angels who had seen all of that say to the shepherds that night that this news is good, that say that this news is great. So friends, let's take serious what the eternal God and what the angels who have seen so much, what they're saying when they say that the news of Jesus' birth is good news of great joy. Now, what was this good news of great joy? Well, when the full angelic host gather in the sky, what do they say about it? The first thing they say in verse 14 is they say that this this good news of great joy involves the glory of the Lord. God being glorified, the glory of God returning to his people. When you think about the the Old Testament era, the the events that take place in the Old Testament section of our Scripture, it details the history of the nation of Israel. And there was a time when the glory of the Lord rested over the Holy of Holies inside of the temple. But because of the disobedience of God's people, 
The book of Ezekiel lets us know that the glory of the Lord departed from the nation of Israel. And the people of Israel, of the nation of Judah, were, were carted off into exile. Some of the events of that era Bruce preached on just last, uh, uh, last fall, this last fall, with the events of the book of Esther and Nehemiah as they were in exile in, in the, the, the book of Daniel. Eventually, God's people came back to Israel. But when they came back, the glory of the Lord did not return with them. When the glory of the Lord returns in this night sky, it is God's presence with his people returning. After years of exile, centuries of exile, God's glory shows up once again. And it shows up in the person of Jesus Christ, and it is celebrated by angels in the sky. The glory of the Lord is the reason for the celebration. God had returned to dwell among his people. And when God came, he brought peace to the earth. Now, what is that peace that verse 14 talks about? See, oftentimes we think of peace as the cessation of conflict, something that governments can achieve by signing a peace treaty at the end of a war. We agree to not shoot at each other anymore. It's not true harmony. It's just signing a document that, that, that ends some kind of hostility. But the peace that is described that Jesus brings goes well beyond that. It is much deeper than that. It's not just a piece of something that happens on the outside, but it reflects something that happens on the inside. The peace or the shalom of God talks about the culmination of the promises of God, that people would be reconciled not just to one another, but also to their heavenly Father. That they would no longer wrestle with the pain and the struggle of this world. That kind of peace that we all long for is provided in Christ. Now, in the time when Jesus was born, all the way back in, in year zero, right? Let's just think of it that way. At the time that, that Jesus was born, there was a, a, a concept of peace that was felt inside of the world. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. See, around the, the Mediterranean Sea, all these little nation states had spent a lot of time fighting each other. And when the Roman Empire conquered that entire region, they established a level of peace that allowed people to travel from city to city. This freedom of the, the Pax Romana was part of how the gospel would get spread all the way around the Mediterranean in the days following Jesus' resurrection. But what's fascinating is that the, the Pax Romana, that level of peace between nations, ultimately was not something that satisfied the souls of man, even in that day. Epictetus, the philosopher of the first century, said this. He says, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. There's a peace that we desire that is beyond what our government can give. Can I get an amen to that today? There is something that we need that is more fundamental on the inside, not just on the outside, certainly including the outside, but the inside as well. This level of peace is provided only in Christ. Of this, J.C. Ryle says, he says, the spiritual darkness that covered the earth was about to be rolled away. The way of pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all of mankind. The knowledge of God was no longer confined to the Jews, 
but was an offer to the whole Gentile world. The first stone of God's kingdom was about to be set up. If this was not good news, there never were tidings that deserved the name. Friends, Jesus came to deliver the peace of God. Peace that would be established for those who embraced him in terms of our relationship with God, that that God's anger towards our sin would be satisfied forever. That came at the cross. The peace that he will establish on the earth where all of God's promises will come to full fulfillment, that is yet future, yet it is absolutely assured. In this way, it is good news of great joy because the glory of God has come to reside with with us when Jesus came. And peace that we so long for is possible. This is good news of great joy. But the passage continues. It doesn't just say that it's good news of great joy, but it says that it is good news of great joy for all the people. The angel added that little statement, for all the people. The angel didn't say, it is good news of great joy for the spiritual elite of Israel. He did not even say, it is good news of great joy for the people of Israel. He says, it is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, God says that. His sentiment communicated by the angel. But he doesn't just say it. He actually goes all the way to demonstrate it. He goes all the way to demonstrate it. Now, how does he demonstrate it? Well, he demonstrates it, and who gets those special invitations? Remember, road game, Bethlehem. Who gets the special invitations to come and to be with Jesus and Mary and Joseph in that moment? Well, the first group that gets the special invitation, we hear to see the story here in Luke chapter 2, was the shepherds. The shepherds get this special invitation. And again, we're so familiar with the story that we think, you know what, if I was going to plan a celebration for the king of kings in Israel in the first century, who should I invite? Oh, yeah, definitely we got to invite the shepherds. Why would we say that? Because they're in our nativity box, right? Uh, Those of you with small children, the little people nativity set, it includes shepherds, therefore they must be on the list, right? This is how we think because we're so familiar with the story. But in the first century, that was not what would have been thought. In the first century, they wouldn't have said, the shepherds must be invited. As a matter of fact, there would have been a a notion that the shepherds must be excluded because the shepherds, by nature of what they did, handling animals, dead bodies and and all that goes along with that, with, with, with animals, they would have been ceremonially unclean. And how often does an animal need to be cared for? seven days a week. Shepherds were not even able to make it to the temple to be cleansed so that they might become clean. Shepherds were outsiders. They weren't invited to religious celebrations. They weren't invited to the palace. Yeah, they served a role inside of society, but they weren't anyone special. And yet it's to those who were unclean, those who were deemed unspecial, that the invitation comes. Who's the other group that was invited? real question. Somebody can answer. The wise men or the magi, right? Matthew chapter 2 lets us know about the magi. We're going to talk more about their story on Tuesday night. But the special invitation goes out through the star and the, the magi see it and they come. Now, again, who in the first century would have thought 
that the Magi should be invited. I mean, after all, they weren't even from the nation of Israel. They were from another nation. They were from the wrong family, from the wrong side of the tracks. Their family worshipped other religions and other gods and all that kind of stuff. And yet, the special invitation goes. Who would have thought in the first century that shepherds and magi should be invited? No one except God himself. God the Father gets an invitation to these groups. Now, why does he do that? Does he do that because God loves shepherds and magi more than anyone else? No, he did it like a parenthesis. If those who were unclean inside of Israel could be invited, if those who were from the wrong side of the tracks, from the other country, without the spiritual pedigree, if they could be invited, guess who can be invited to come and to worship Jesus? All people. All people. Now, this is super important for us to think about today, friends, because who is an all people? If you're an all people, raise your hand. Sims, you can raise your hand too, all the way at the back there, buddy. We're, we're, because you're an all people, right? All of us are an all people. Every single one of us in this room. That means that the gift that Jesus is offering is for us. You know, at Christmas time, there are a lot of presents that are exchanged. Um, that's probably true in your house. It's certainly true in our house. And if you're a parent, you take advantage of the moments when children are outside of the house to wrap presents. And so Josh spent some time with some friends on Friday night. And so Kimberly and I wrapped a number of presents. And so he comes back Saturday. He's looking around the tree. There are presents all around the tree. Now, what would someone do if there were not a lot of presents and then there were a lot of presents? What would they do? Well, they would go and look at all of those presents under the tree looking for one specific thing on each present, looking for the names that are there, obviously to know who all was going to be blessed by the gifts that we're going to give others. No, that's not exactly it, right? You can at least enjoy this a little bit. We would, we would go and look to see the gifts that are for us that are under the tree. That's not just true of a child, that's true of, of all of us. I know under our tree there were some presents that were, that were wrapped uh, and placed under the tree that I didn't recognize. And those presents had my name on it. I want you to know I can't wait for Christmas to open those presents because they're for me. You know, friends, sometimes because of what we've done, because of the, the pain of our past, the sins that we've committed, the addiction that we struggle with, the family that we're from, we feel like this message of Christmas might be good news of great joy, but it's for someone else, it's not for us. Friends, the angel goes out of the way to make it clear that the good news of great joy is for all the people, and you're in all the people. This message is for you. Good news of great joy for all the people. And that news centers around the one who was born. It centers around the Savior. Verse 11 lets us know, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is the Savior who was born that night that is the reason why peace is possible. It's found in the person of Jesus. He would be the one that would illuminate God 
for us so that we would know who he is. He's the one who would make it possible for us to have our sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. It is, is the Savior who was born who would make that possible. And make no mistake, friends, Jesus did not begin his existence at Bethlehem, but as the Son of God, he has eternally existed. When he was born at Bethlehem, he merely took on human flesh for us so that we might be blessed by God. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 9, The Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What has happened for us in Jesus' birth, friends, but the the, the Son of God who has existed eternally has taken on the poverty of this world, laid in a manger. How were the, the, the shepherds to know which baby they were looking for, not the baby that was glowing, not the baby with the halo, but the baby that was in the manger. Why would that be enough to find him? Because people don't lay their children in horse troughs. Only the poorest of the poor might be laid there. Jesus took on human flesh. He was humbled himself to that level, even to the level of being laid in a horse trough, so that by his poverty, he might give to us his riches. Even as he lay there, he was the Lord of glory. Paul would say of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he is the Lord of glory. Paul would also say in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus came and humbled himself all the way to the point of a manger so that we might get to know God. But not only that, But he would grow up and leave that manger and he would live a perfect life to one day ultimately offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death and that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that all of us have a separation from God that is awaiting us apart from the intervention of God. And God has intervened by sending his son Jesus to die in our place and take the penalty that our sins deserve. In that way, Jesus was the Lamb of God. You know, outside of Bethlehem, the shepherds would care for sheep out in those fields. And many of the sheep that they cared for would be sheep that one day would be sacrificed in the temple at Passover. Reminder of the need for there to be the shedding of blood to provide the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist would say of Jesus that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus offers his life on the cross as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God to take away the penalty that our sins deserve. Shepherds are invited, appropriately so, because instead of just tending sheep that are a symbol They get invited to see the lamb who would be the source of their salvation. Friends, as we are here today, how is it that you and I might be able to see in Christmas good news of great joy? How is it that we might be able to fear not when we stand before God one day? Well, the way that that's possible is by embracing what God has done for us 
through Jesus Christ, the Savior who was born. If we embrace him by faith, then his death pays our penalty. And we who are poor receive the riches of God as a result of his grace. It's good news of great joy for all the people. The Savior is born. How do we respond to this, though? How do we respond? Well, I want to offer a possibility in light of this series as we've been talking about the light. We respond by shining. We shine. Now, the idea for this is found, I believe, in Luke 2, but, but let me first create a context for understanding it. You know, Josh, being in the seventh grade this year, has been studying things about the solar system and astronomy and, and different things in school. And one of the assignments that his science teacher had him do was to take a picture of himself with the moon every day for 15 days. So we were able to see the moon and its different shapes and phases. Uh, and, and that has sparked a lot of conversation for us as a family. You see, the moon it has no light in and of itself. It's, it's just a rock, right? But the moon gives light to us because it is reflecting the sun. And as we saw this, as we saw the different shapes, there was one particular day where we were, we were looking at these pictures and talking about this, and Kimberly's, her eyes just lit up. And she said, we are the moon. We are the moon. And, you know, it was just a profound moment to think about that. Because we, like the moon, don't have any light in and of ourselves. And yet, we have the opportunity to reflect the light of Christ that is shown upon us and to reflect that into the world. The first thing that we can do as a response is allow the light of Christ to shine on us. The shepherds hear this message. What do they do? They don't file it away and go, that was interesting. No, they, they pack their bag and they, they head to town and they go and they find Jesus and they allow his light to shine on them. In that moment, they believe, they embrace, and they bow before him. And friends, if you're here today and this, this news of great joy that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that this message is for you. If you're hearing that today and you want to respond, then allow his light to shine on you and believe and embrace who he is and what he has done for you, and there will be a hope that you'll have for all eternity. But not only do we embrace that truth at one level, but also as we embrace it, that we would have the opportunity to shine that message to others. I love what the disciples do, or the, the shepherds do in this moment. As they, they get this message, as they allow the light of Christ to shine on them, they, they leave and they don't forget about it. But they leave and they go and they tell others about what they have seen. And friends, we too have the opportunity to go and shine Christ's light in this world. As we leave this place we can go and we can tell those in our family, we can tell our children and our extended family over the holidays of the hope that we have in Christ. We can invite those in our, in our networks, those we work with, our neighbors, our friends, our kids' friends, we can invite them to come even Tuesday night to celebrate Christmas Eve with us. Why? Because we are excited, we are shining this message that God has shined on us, we now shine to others. There's good news of great joy for all the people the Savior is born. Let's shine that reality in this dark world.
Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering and worshiping today. Thank you for the the hope that we find in Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would just allow us this great privilege of not only embracing Christ as our Savior, but also in sharing that hope with those around us. Father, this is a message for all the people, and that includes everyone that we will come in contact with this week and this season, but even in the new year ahead. And Father, we pray that you would allow us the opportunity to point others to Christ. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said.